Welcome to Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. Join me every week for insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their roller coaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. I'm your host, Anna Lieben, and before we kick off, let me invite you to a complimentary strategy call where during 30 minutes we work on identifying your zone of genius and lay out a plan for you to stay in that zone as much as possible. Schedule the call via link in the show notes. And for now, let's take a ride together. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to another episode of this show. I want to start by giving a shout out to one of the reviews on Apple Podcasts that we have received for Genius Leadership Podcast, because your reviews matter. You taking some extra minute to put those stars with the rating and reviewing podcasts and sharing it on the social media gives us credibility. It makes it easier for us to invite some important guests and for them to, to see that this show is being listened to. And it also gives some extra validation to your peers who are considering whether they should listen the, to the show or not. So I want to thank everyone taking their time to put the effort in, and reviewing the podcast. And today's shout out goes to Malalo Fiskin from Sweden, who writes great podcast for leadership inspiration. I've listened to the episode where, where Mia Turnblom is being interviewed. As a note, my uh, first guest was Mia Turnblom. So you can go back to that episode. It was an inspiration discussion to listen to with many eye-openers for me. Really looking forward to listening to a few more episodes. Thank you, Malalo Fiskin from Sweden for this review. And thank you everyone again for taking the time to listen to the show and also to share it with the communities of yours, with the audience of yours and with the podcast community on the Apple podcast as a review or other platforms. So on with today's show. Today, I'm interviewing Jeremy Blaine from the UK, who is also helping leaders on their journey in the organizations. And he has recently released a book called The Inner CEO. And I wanted to bring him to the show to share some of the insights from his work on the book, uh, the story behind it, and some of the tips from it. So what is this inner CEO? We're talking about the person who can be the CEO of their own life and their role within the organization, independently of which level they're on at. And now I'm paraphrasing, so it's not the definition of Jeremy himself, but I just want to give you my perspective on it. And it's going in line with what I'm talking about on the show quite often, that we all are leaders and we all can lead others. And first of all, we all lead ourselves. So with Jeremy, we talk about two sides of this coin. For everyone in the organization to be able to take on this inner CEO role, or as he also says, enroll CEO, we need to create organizational structures that support that and the culture that also supports that. And we discuss a lot about flattening the organizational structures, how to find the balance there about or between not having too much of hierarchy, but at the same time, keeping the ownership and having the ownership with the organization so that the things happen and the decisions are taken. We'll also discuss why it's important to first build the organizational structure and then pay attention and put effort into empowering people to take the responsibility and to take initiatives. We're also discussing what to do with people who don't necessarily want to take this initiative or use this power of becoming the inner CEO. And a spoiler here, it's okay <laughs> to not want it. There are people who, whose ambition level might not be at the highest, and that is absolutely fine. Does doesn't mean anything negative about that person whatsoever. And I want to emphasize that because I think we have created a bit of too much pressure in our work culture that everyone has to be the influencer, the superstar, and it's unhealthy. We need all kinds and all levels of ambition, all levels of engagement. Okay, engagement should be on top for everyone, but I hope you understand what I mean. I want everyone to contribute in the way comfortable for them. And Jeremy is talking about that as well in his book and in this conversation with me. And he's providing the his insights in how to create the culture where everyone is welcome with their ambition level, with their perspective, and with their 
way of contribution. Jeremy's also talking about transitioning from diversity and inclusion, which is quite a big topic nowadays, to representation and belonging. And I want to emphasize that I, I like how he said that this is what it's needed for now. So he's not talking about that this is the thing forever from now on. He's talking about the, the current situation, the global situation, and the workplace situation requires that. It's not about the diversity inclusion anymore as much as we need to have representation and we need to have the sense of belonging. We also discuss in the strategy how the usual flaws are not in the strategy definition in the organizations, but more in the strategy implementation. And it's important to pay attention to that part of the process of whichever change you're going through. We also discuss in the coaching-led leadership with Jeremy, and here he's talking about the enabler for that. Uh, we're talking about that his method to creating this structure for everyone to be the in-role CEO in the organization creates space, time, and energy for the top leaders to be the top leaders that they're supposed to be instead of being the firefighters all the time. So I hope this will inspire you to, to feel like, yeah, you can get out of that firefight mode. And Jeremy's book, The Inner CEO, provides you the blueprint for doing so. So I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. You'll find it insightful, inspirational, and impactful. And I'll see you on the other side. As always, let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast live on LinkedIn and even YouTube from today. I'm super happy to have Jeremy Blaine as my guest today. And we're going to talk about the inner CEO. And I let Jeremy present a bit more about that idea. But first, I want to start with a question that I ask every single guest of mine on the show. Jeremy, what is leadership to you and who is a leader? Well, you start with the tough ones then, Anna. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no chit-chatting here. <laughs> well, look, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on this uh, cast with you, this live cast. For me, leadership right now is about having your eye to the sky, but it's also about keeping your feet on the ground. So I think gone are the days where leaders can sit in their office or their ivory tower and let everybody else get on with it. We've learned in this last year that we need to be much closer to what's going on and much closer, not just on the business level, but also on a human level. One of the reasons for that from a leadership challenge perspective is it's speed these days, which is competitive advantage, not size. So that ability to move quickly means that leaders have to have that operational eye open as much as the strategic particularly over the last year, as we've, we've spoken about. So they can focus on the right things as they come up. They can start to unlearn perhaps old habits, old leadership habits, and embrace some of the new and start learning again. That, for me, is leadership today. And uh, who who is a leader? That's a really good question. For me, horizontal power and horizontal ability is as important as the vertical at the moment. So I believe that May, many more of our people have the potential to be leaders in the organization. And for me, it's tapping into talent with a small T, not with a big T, which is ex exclusive, and really unleashing what the power is within our people. Because in the last year, we've realized that the capability and skills gaps between our people and some of our leaders have closed quite dramatically when you consider some of those new skills, remote working, digital collaboration, communication, etc. So I think everybody can be a leader if only they're given the opportunity. A beautiful answer. And you directly opened up for, for discussion of, of the book because we, you in the book, The Inner CEO, and you can also mention the whole, the full title, you are talking about the two parts, right? You, you are providing the support and the tools for everyone to tap into their uh, potential as leaders, but also you're giving the tools and the blueprint for the organizations to help them create this environment where everyone can thrive and everyone can lead. So which one of those two should we start with in the conversation? 
Whoa, wow, gosh. There's a parallel track here, but actually one is often missed and I'll come back to that. So yes, the book is The Inner CEO and it's about unleashing leaders at all levels. Uh, I truly believe that we're entering a new age of empowerment where a more collective approach to leadership is probably one that will benefit many organizations, particularly for founders and startups who may be watching this as well, an opportunity to rethink traditional organizational structures and think about how we can flatten traditional hierarchies and start to make this a reality. So when I, in fact, before I got to actually the core components of the book, it's quite interesting for me as a a journey, because I don't know about you, but in all of my career, we have been talking about leadership at all levels. You must take ownership. We must empower our people. But very rarely have I seen that work in reality. So out of all of the research that I've done over the years around leadership traits and management traits, you name it, this, this kept, I kept on coming back to this point and I started looking out there and I realized that there was nothing out there about how do you actually do this? There were books on Mm. leadership, books on management, books on soft skills, but nothing about leadership at all levels that brought it all together. So. By finding that, I then actually reapproached my idea for the book and thought it would be much better as a practical how-to written approach for this. And therefore, understanding what it takes to make this a reality in our organizations at organizational level and senior leader level, but also individual contributor level. So you're absolutely right. It's those two key components. And Empowerment, leadership at all levels cannot work unless you have that organizational piece done first. So you have to create the conditions and the culture that embrace this new age of empowerment. And it's a mindset shift at leadership level, which many things are, as we know. (laughs) And you have to buy into this. And management also, management levels underneath have to buy into this because in some ways they'd be repurposed to support those who are stepping up to become, as I call them, in-role CEOs. And that's going beyond their job description, essentially. So creating those conditions is really important and understanding that we have we have a bunch of talent with a small T, as I talked about, who have the ability to step up. Not everybody might want to or may have the capability to, but we have to give them the opportunity. So that first bit is critically important and that can be owned not just at senior leadership level, but of course traditionally it would be organization development, it would be HR, and probably talent management now just changing that T to a small T uh, would, would own this. Once you have that in place, and only then I would say, that's when you can start looking at the individual and start thinking about, right, well, what does it take to do that? What are the things that we can do horizontally within our role that allows you to contribute to the broader business or to special Mm -hmm. projects, to project teams outside of your normal team that give you the opportunity to demonstrate, learn, and grow some of these different capabilities that we're talking about, the leadership capabilities, the management capabilities, and also actually how you lead the team to drive ideas to fruition. So it can be learning at all levels, leading at all levels, innovating at all levels, and action at all levels. This is, I think, what we need. I have so many questions that I just jotted down that I don't forget, Jeremy, because this answer opens up like a hundred different areas we could go like or path we can go with this conversation. But first one, I got it. Organizational culture first. And actually, I see this a lot in the startup world where culture is built first with this kind of small core team when the startup is like a handful of people and they all have similar backgrounds. They have all similar lifestyle and similar goals and so on. And it's quite work, uh, quite well, working quite well. And then they're like, yeah, we have a great corporate culture. And then they start going to the scale-up phase and then have a lot of people and inevitably to start hiring people who are of different backgrounds or different lifestyle and so on. And it's just cracking. So is that covered in your book? And maybe can you give us a couple of suggestions on how to manage this transition from being a very united core team to become in a bigger organization where diversity should be still welcomed and embraced and really create this thriving environment for everyone to to be on board? How do you manage that? So 
You're quite right to mention culture as the first thing, because this is the foundation stone that we build it on. But actually, culture, things like diversity are two of what I call five forces, which are impacting the modern workplace, which we have to grapple with first. So that's digital transformation. So adopting digital and doing things better and thinking about how digital unlocks innovation and creates maybe new opportunities we've not heard of. Secondly, actually, leadership readiness, we started talking about, started to refer to this, is that there are leaders in more traditional organizations who are thinking in 20th century ways. And if Mm. they're thinking of 20th century ways, they're using the 20th century, what we have done before to inform what we will do in the future. Now, some of that is fine, of course, but actually it misses a big key component of how we can build for the modern workplace. And the digital piece above that is the first key element. The third is culture, a culture which is right for the digital age in the modern workplace. The fourth is about workforce and ways of working transformation. So we're seeing the rise of the blended workforce. Now, in, in, I did some research um, last year, and by within the next couple of years, we're predicting that 50% of any company's workforce globally will be made up of independent workers, not just permanent workers. So how do you square that as well? What does the culture look like when you've got actually a blended workforce like this and now more distributed work and hybrid working post-pandemic as we move from this? And that then leads to the to the fifth thing and picks up what you talked about, which is the diversity and inclusion element. And I think for me, I would change the words diversity and inclusion. I would say representation and belonging are better words for now. We need better representation. And with everything that I've said above that, we have the ability to do it because we're embracing a workforce that is geography free, that is made up of permanent and independent workers. We have experienced over this last year, some of these old traditional gender, race, culture lenses being removed as everybody is the same place. Zoom is the same for everybody. We're all on Zoom or we're all on this this platform. And it started in certain areas. You can see evidence of of it breaking down barriers. So those five key things are critical to get a hold of before we, we can move forward. Those are the, if you like, the foundation is culture. And then the rest of the other four are the pillars that hold up this age of empowerment I'm calling that. And that's really about how we work more efficiently and effectively for the modern workplace in a more collective and collaborative way with everybody owning business, health, and growth. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking our uh, viewers or listeners, the genius leaders joining could think like, oh my gosh, this is too big to handle. Like, how am I going to make sure that my organization survives this transition? So how can we actually give them some hope? Well, it's mindsets first. It is a lot. But if you think about before we got to the pandemic, uh, many of the, the leaders on here will have been tackling this already, whether they're founders or existing businesses. It's about, okay, how do you make and how do you build a modern business? Uh, how do you do some of these things? How do we recognize that we're going through a transformational period, that digital is impacting what we do, and it will soon be accelerated again with technologies like 5G, microcomb, and when we make quantum breakthroughs, these are the things that w- will make artificial intelligence in the way that we that we view it could work for us really happen. So for example, instead of Siri or Bixby on my phone, have a supercharged version of that that becomes a personal assistant for us, for example, within our organizations. So while the pace of change is very fast, I think leaders have to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because we're not going to have a period of consolidation. We're coming out of a pandemic where many business leaders are preoccupied solely with business survival, as well as those that actually have thrived through it and are moving forward in different ways. But if we don't actually grab hold of some of this and make it happen quickly, then uh, our competitors will. So this is why I would say the big hope for, for leaders who are listening here is that, so use your people, use the power of your people, curate some of this leadership. I, and I don't mean strategy definition, but I do mean 
strategy implementation, which is where it often fails. Uh, you can mm. define as much strategy as you want, but strategy implementation fails over 60% of the time. And digital implementation, strategy implementation, according to IBM and Forbes, fails over 80% of the time. So you need more bottom-up leaders who can grab hold of this and actually be part of the solution, not part of your issues that are there. And it helps flatten the whole structure. It helps actually the leaders get in touch again. This is the feet on the ground piece I was talking about before, Anna. Now, so I think that's where the hope is in your people. Yeah, that's a great avenue, Jer- Jeremy, to go but when we we're going to transition to the part of how we can enable everyone to be this or to unleash the inner CEO that they have. I want to tap into the organization, the flat organization that you've mentioned a couple of times. I've heard some people complain about that. When it kind of com- comes to the other extreme, when acquisition is so flat and everyone has so much power within their hands that no one takes a decision. Have you observed that? And how can you address that issue as the leader in the organization? Yes, it, it, it's, you do see it. In fact, there's a company called Zappos, the, the, the US kind of retail, uh, retail technology uh, company, who practice something called a holacracy. And that was exactly as you described. That is really flattening it out. And that is everybody taking the decision about how they work, when they work, what they do, how they do it. And the jury's out because there are upsides and downsides of that. There, you know, you have to have control. But my argumentation is if you're flattening the hierarchy and you're doing it in the right way with leaders at all label, uh, at all levels being able to step up, being supported by a coaching led management structure, you start to give the senior leadership the opportunity to navigate the future and mm. to start looking ahead, giving them time. So you don't want to create it so flat that it's creating problems for yourself, but you do want to give people some level of autonomy. Now, there's lots of articles out there about the power of empowerment and autonomous uh, decision-making and problem-solving. So these areas, particularly decision-making, problem-solving, collaboration, communication, how we work as a team, these things can be put in the hands of the individuals so they don't go up a level to management. I've got a problem. Let me call my manager. Manager says, oh, it's a bit of a bigger problem for me. Let me go to my director, da, da, da. And so it goes. And we're preoccupied internally. So it's looking at the organizations that are getting the balance right. Um, and I'm thinking of organizations like Nike uh, in parts of their organization. They ha- they're doing a great job of driving this kind of sensibility but also driving innovation at all levels as well and uh, welcoming ideas. Spotify is another example of where, you know, one of the, for those of you using Spotify, you know, Discover Weekly, that came from individual contributors in their regular collaborative get-togethers where they unleash the power of innovation within the ideas of their people. And then they sponsor that all the way up. So uh, it's interesting because you, you kind of talk about that this can get out of control sometimes, but the global head of talent and learning for Spotify, Johanna uh, Bolintingval from uh, Sweden, who I interviewed for the book, she talks about this. She said, actually, it's in the chaos that the magic happens. Mm. Maybe not always, <laughs> but it can. <laughs> so I think we have to embrace a little bit of that unknown and a little bit of chaos because you just don't know where the magic can come from sometimes. And they've experienced that. But you probably need some controls on the outside of that so that you can take hold of the reins if you need to without without kind of it bolting out of control. Yeah, I love the answer, Jeremy. Thanks a lot for sharing. I would like to talk about this minority of people who every organization probably have, the people on different levels who actually don't want to embrace uh, or like to be the CEOs, to be the leaders. And you said about that, you mentioned it like, but shortly in, in your one of the conversations or one of the answers that like you have as an organization, as the leadership team, you need to provide these opportunities to everyone. And some people will not want to, to, to take it, this opportunity. Some will. So how do you identify the people who mm. want and who don't? And how do you find the right approach to each of these categories of people? That's explained much better in the book because it's a big answer. Okay. <laughs> that is. But, but, It's right. I think this goes back to something that you pointed out before, which is a more diverse, inclusive and equitable approach to offering opportunity. So this is where I differentiate it as that capital T for talent versus the small T for talent. It's Mm -hmm. giving people the opportunity. 
And if they would like it, then to grab hold of it and then to do something with it. But we have to acknowledge that it might not be for everybody. We know that people in our organizations are quite happy in the roles that they're doing and that they might have done for the last 10 years. And that's fine. That's okay. But, you know, because we've been so exclusive in our focus, we have a much broader opportunity to include more people in it. It doesn't have to be everybody, but we do. So there are two things actually that I do in the book that I talk about. And the first is at organizational level to give uh, what I call a five-point star, which is a way to quickly assess with individuals whether they, they have, you know, the will and the ability to step up across things like looking at their attitude, looking at their performance in role, looking at their, their leadership, their natural leadership. Have we seen any of this evidence? So kind of a quick way of looking at, you know, our broader population saying, well, it looks like that, you know, 60, 70 or 80% of our people, we, we have, we have gold in here that we can do. And so that's where it starts. And that starts with HR. It starts with line management and it includes the individual contributors as well. And then at individual contributors level, for those who are stepping up as these in-role CEOs, as I call them, um, I have a model called four E's model, which is um, envision, engage, execute, and excite. And this is about the knowledge, skills, and behaviors which come with leading at all levels. So transcending job role and the normal way that we might look at the competency skills there and broadening it a little bit to look at that. So there are two very solid components to do some assessment around suitability, around ability, and around willingness to do so, so that we're not, we're not making any false starts. But there is one more important point that I would make because as organizations, we do have some issues coming. And we talk about this as well. And it is another diversity angle, which is the cross-generational mix. We've got four or even five generations working side by side for the first time in history. Uh, we've got Gen Z coming into the workplace. We've got the millennial, the millennials who have been in business now who are looking for those leadership roles. But we've also got the aging population as healthcare gets better, retirement plans get worse our life gets longer and we need to we need to work for another 10 years what are we going to there is no there is nothing in place for organizations as stands in traditional 20th century structures that allows for that which is why i'm saying we need to build it for the 21st but what i'm saying here is that if we look at this more horizontal way of leading and doing things beyond our job role suddenly we may find that we create a whole new opportunity suite for our people and so that they're able to step up or even step out of their day-to-day role and just do something different. It might not be leading something. It might, it might be being involved in something. It might be using our, our really experienced people who are, were traditionally going to retire soon, but are now in the organization to do more mentoring and coaching and, uh, and maybe le- and reverse coaching and reverse mentoring for them too from the younger generation so that they can be on board with some of the newer workplace uh, innovations that are coming so that they can get on board with it. So there's, there's a cross pollination of action and ideas and mutual support that comes from this horizontal unleashing of the inner CEO, if you like, as much as the vertical or the more traditional look at it. How do you make sure that everyone understands that it's okay to not take on that inner CEO or inner role CEO role if they don't feel like? Because I feel like at least from the millennial generation, my generation, there are a lot of people who are seeing all these amazing people on the social media, uh, in the news, in the media and so on. And they're like, having this pressure on themselves that I have to perform, I have to make an impact, I have to improve the life of millions or billions of people and do it by I'm by the age of 25. So I could imagine that pe- these people bring this mindset to the workplace as well. Do you address it in the book as well? How to make sure that everyone feel welcome with their ambition level, with their pref- preferences to how to work and what to work on? Yes, I do. And that's, that's actually all part of the organizational level conditions mm-hmm. to enable this age of empowerment to really thrive in the right way. 
So it's not just about calling people out to go beyond their job role, contribute strategically to the business. That's part of it for some who have this very strong kind of capability and who you may see as leadership, you know, senior leadership pipeline. But also you've got this wonderful population whereby there are lots of ideas there. There are lots of things that we can be doing within teams and uh, collaborating cross-functionally where we can start to be more effective, more efficient, where we can collaborate more remotely, do things in this more distributed world together. And I think what this gives us the opportunity to do is say that, look, we don't expect you to be the CEO of the company tomorrow. But what we do want to give you is the opportunity is to be with and experience different things outside of your job role, work with different people, lead some of that communication and collaboration, and start to enjoy more of what this organization has to offer rather than just where you're focused down here. And so if we can position it right and start to talk to individuals in terms of their suitability. And this is where this five-point star I was talking about comes into, mm. because that's where we can identify, here's some real kind of, you know, some high flyers who will really embrace doing some of the more strategic stepping out here. But here are some individuals who actually are quite happy where they are, but we can keep them challenged and motivated by doing different things, but empowering them to lead some of that in their own sphere of influence that they are. So those two components at organizational level is uh, spend quite a lot of time at. And then, and only then, are we ready to actually support these people to actually do it and go out there. And that's when I you know, provide them with the, the roadmaps to do it. I love it, Jeremy. I, I really love how you pointed out that organization has a responsibility and they have to start with themselves. They can't just say like, okay, I bought, like if I have 200 employees, I bought 200 exemplars of your book and just give it out to everyone and expect that the magic will happen. No, you as the leadership of the organization have to do the work. You have to set up the environment for that. And you're providing them with those steps. You're really giving the clarity and this roadmap or blueprint, as you call it, right? For the way of thinking, for the way of structuring your work, for the way of building your culture, the way of nurturing your talent. And only then can we say, okay, now we have everything here set up. It's a bit like, I don't know whether you use this uh, analogy, but it's a bit of like gardening to me. You're preparing the soil, you're preparing the whole garden, and only then do you plant the seeds and start nurturing them. You can't just plant the seeds in, in between the rocks and then just start putting the soil around and so on. No, you first need to prepare the ground. And that's what you're doing with the book and how you laid out. Yes, exactly. And no, I don't use that analogy, but I wish I had. So well, in the update for the book, <laughs> watch watch this space. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's, that's why I quickly identified because there was so little out there on the topic apart from quite a lot of articles, of course, but nothing really about the how-to. One of the big problems in terms of why this failed was that it didn't have that in place, that the conditions, the culture, the senior leadership had not done that work at mindset level first and then into action to create the space for it to make it work because they just then, they said the words, they didn't mm. walk the walk. They said the words and it's like, right, go out and empower our people. And then as soon as people started stepping in, it's like, what are they doing? Hang on, no, they can't do that. That's that's their responsibility. And then it, it all collapses in. So yeah, absolutely. I totally get the analogy and it's totally right for this. And it's why I spent a lot of time looking at this part of it because it's huge. The senior leadership and organizational structuring behind this is not an easy task for some organizations. It takes time. It definitely does. And uh, I, I would love to emphasize the winning or what, what the organizations and the leaders win by doing all this hard work and taking all this long time to, to create this organizational culture and structure. And you already mentioned a bit of that, like when, when everyone is stepping into their CEO role in their roles on all the levels of organization, the top leadership gets the space to look up, to look into the future. Can we elaborate on that a bit, Jeremy, and maybe talk a bit of, of your client cases? Like what have you seen your companies and the leaders on their personal level achieve once they have really managed to, to get through yeah. the process successfully? Well, this is it. I, I, it's the one of the primary benefits of getting this right is one really important thing, time. Mm. Time for everybody. 
and particularly time for senior leaders who are navigating what I now call not the VUCA world, but the VUCAD world. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, ambiguous. It's also now distributed. So we've got another one to add onto that list. And there is no let up in the pace of change and the accelerated nature of digital and how that's going to be, impact our businesses. So leaders need time to consider this. They need time to understand where is the data that can help us make more informed decisions. So therefore, in the rest of the organization, it needs to be geared differently away from old 20th century models and into something which is much more appropriate for the modern workplace. And that sort of almost curated or a more collective approach to handling some of the operational leadership opportunities and problems that we have allows them to do so. So that, that's a critical component of it. And in the book, I interview six different different people from six different organizations, from large organizations, from startup organizations, CEO level, from talent level, to understand what's happening there. And to answer your question, it's quite really good interview with a guy called Steen Pugard, who's Danish, who at the time though was living in Singapore, and who was the co-founder and CEO of a of a brand new startup fast food chain called Four Fingers Crispy Chicken, which is kind of like crispy Korean chicken in a market that's saturated. And in a few years, had grown it from zero to $40 million. And he talks about the importance of this. He said, I create in my organizations what I call mini CEOs. Mm. He says, I give them the direction and the clarity, and then I give them the empowerment to manage it in their own restaurant and site and to use their team to generate ideas for how they manage that that site so that I can concentrate on what the next steps are in the organization. I am very clear, he says, about what I expect, but I leave them to find the answers for themselves and to collaborate across the mini CEO cohorts, if you like, and also pollinate great ideas that are happening across either the countries or, or some of their sites. He's now actually back in Denmark and he heads up the Scandinavian uh, Burger King for Scandinavia, I believe. So uh, he'll be putting this into practice there. Steen Pugard, he's, he's called a great guy to get hold of. So the interview in the book with him goes in depth into this and pulls out a lot of what you're asking in terms of, you know, what does it mean for senior leaders that get this right to allow them to move? And so his accelerated growth he says, you know, in a saturated market in food service where it's highly regulated as well and where, where it's kind of a one size fits all sort of menu item that you're trying to create time and time again, he said, this really works. And it allowed us to accelerate our growth and our expansion rate to, to a point that nobody in the industry expected. And he said, the biggest benefit for me of doing this was one of the, he said, you know, in our industry, we have, and this is fast food service. Yeah. Said we have a turnover rate of beyond 70% of people. And I think we all recognize that. Yeah. He said at Four Fingers Crispy Chicken, because of the way that we managed it, and because we gave people a stake in the business and to think about and to, to think about what new ideas and give them air to breathe, we were less than 25%. He said that took off a huge burden from his shoulders and his from his human capital shoulders and a huge cost burden as well for the business. So it attracted staff into them. It retained staff into them, but it also grew the skills bench in terms of strategic thinking as much as operational thinking. And this is where he then was able to then go out and think, right, well, what are we doing next? Let's navigate this future for ourselves and drive double digit growth, which he did. I'm having goosebumps hearing about those numbers mm. from over 70 to 25. That's huge. We're yeah. talking so much about the turnover numbers, how much it costs to uh, attract talent, to retain and to onboard and train, right? And then just hearing these numbers, as you said, you, you just, I think you just sold the book very well. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> will want to go and grab the copy because getting their time back as for leaders to have this capacity or ability to think strategically, to really think about the growth of business and not only can sustain the current state of it. That's huge. And that's what a lot of leaders are missing and would love to have more of in their days. Yeah. And I, I would just add to that in that, in fact, a lot of the feedback that I've got about the book, there are two things that come back. First of all, the six interviews have proved hugely valuable in putting into the context, the principles that I'm laying out in the book and the actions 
and looking at it working in reality and getting the real kind of how does it feel at leadership and individual contributor level and within those organizations and how they do it, it really adds richness. And secondly, the sort of the practical nature of getting to action around this with examples from other companies as well as from the interviews has been very useful for many uh, organizations and people who who are starting to embrace this because it's not easy to do. And I think the more stories that we tell alongside, if you like, the theory of how you do this helps it become much more practical and actionable. And that's really been my aim. That's beautiful. That, that's that's the passion we're sharing. I'm also having this show for the sake of sharing the stories, showing how it could be that other people can can get some kind of practical point of reference and uh, see what lands for them, what resonates for them, what could they try in their own di- daily life, in their business or in their private life. So it's it's great that you have created the book that way that you can actually share the knowledge of those six six interviewees of yours and also all the experience that you have gained in the decades of your work. Yeah, well, uh, sorry, you were about to ask it. Yeah, I was, Go about, ahead. To add, Go ahead. No, I was about to add to that. I think you, you touched on it before because I think part of that getting to action is not just giving the advice, but it's about giving the tools. So I have created, as you know, a lot of tools here like 90-day roadmaps, personal development plans that can be plugged into this and models that can be used to help fast track this. So for those that are listening that are interested, I think it's more than just those examples. It's actually the tools to help you to do it. Yeah, it's very valuable. Thanks for that. I wanted to ask you about the coaching led leadership style that you have mentioned quickly. And I would like to go a bit more into that because I believe in that, in the power of it. I see it working on my clients, how their leadership transforms when they start putting a coaching head a bit more on and when they learn the tools from me. Can you talk a bit more about how well, how would you define the coaching led leadership and what does it mean in practice for the leader and for the people whom they're leading? It's behind Carol Dweck's growth mindset for me. This is about the organization who is focused on growth. It's growth of individuals, of people, of teams, of functions that contribute to the organizational growth and the growth of our bench in terms of skills, levels, and capability within the marketplace that we're there. So by very definition, if we're embracing that and we're unleashing our people and the power of our people to do more either vertically or horizontally, wherever that wherever that fits, then the environment is right to repurpose management away from what they've become because mm-hmm. we've lost the art of... The, coaching is an art and we've lost that art in many of our organizations because in my experience, as a trainer and as a coach and as a consultant, I see many line managers now who are just problem solvers, administrators, or super versions of whatever that function is. So super salespeople or super um, operators who are the answers to the questions that are needed really quickly because we haven't got time to now kind of make mistakes and move on. So we've just got to fix these things. So it's moving away from this more operational approach to management and then um, performance management and supervision and into more about how do we drive then a growth mindset through it. And that underpinning that if we've got all the conditions right that we've talked about already, is coaching. Because that is then, if we're using the power of our management to support those people that we're saying that have the ability to step up vertically or horizontally, but then we need to help them develop the new knowledge, skills, and behaviors that will enable them to uh, fast-track delivery of whatever their idea is or project team that they're working within, then it's going to make a huge benefit to the organization. It also means that it allows us to flatten the organization away from, again, like this performance management stroke supervision approach, this more hierarchical approach into a more flatter structure that allows uh, allows us to do this more collaboratively across the organization. So coaching has a really important part to play, and it's not just coaching from the management, it's peer coaching as well. It works the other way around, and it's coaching up the line where needed. We hear about reverse mentoring in organizations like uh, Citibank, you know, is a really good example of uh, of an organization that used this, you know, getting people into the boardroom, for example, who are digitally savvy and who mm. know how to drive the right levels of collaboration and communication through appropriate tools and who coach 
the senior leaders in the boardroom in their own capability and how to make the right decisions around this. So it kind of works both ways. So coaching culture is much more than just the line management, I think is my point. <laughs> how would you nurture that? How can you bring the understanding of what coaching culture would be into the organizations and support people practicing it on a daily? Well, it goes back to learning and development because mm -hmm. many organizations, if you, if you think about it, even before the pandemic, we were going through transformation. We'd just come off the 10-year uh, global financial crisis. What budgets go first? It's learning, parts of marketing, some HR budgets that go. Mm -hmm. So we have a backlog of skills development that, that hasn't been actioned yet. So, for example, this is why one of the reasons why I'm seeing that many management are now just becoming problem solvers and administrators. Uh, we've lost touch with what line management looks like and particularly around coaching. So we need to understand first, what are the key knowledge, skills and behaviors that we need to develop? And for me, coaching is one of them because it supports this age of empowerment and then fast track that so that actually it becomes the way we do things around here. And then we can start to measure it through the tools I've talked about already, because actually that's how we can track how fast people are developing and then how fast they're impacting either results or others or uh, qualitative measures like um, satisfaction, the retention of employees within the organization, and how it feels to be within that organization, which are as important measures on an emotional side as the quantitative measures of how we're impacting the bottom line. It's very important to, to really think about those things and bring them to the data discussion. I would say not only think about it on a strategic level, just as you said, strategy planning is one thing, but strategy implementation is a completely different beast that a lot of people are missing on tackling and uh, very true. Get, getting to, to be friends with. And it's really great to have these discussions that what we're having right, right now and what you're having with your community and but through your content, including the book. It's really important to bring the awareness to these issues. Jeremy, I would like to wrap up with three questions that I usually ask. Uh, first one is easy. If people want to get more of you, if you want to, to grab their copy of your book, want to get in contact with you, what's the best way or what are the best ways to do so? Three things. First of all, LinkedIn. Look me up on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Jeremy Blaine. Connect with me, DM me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. I'm very active mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Secondly, through my website, which is performanceworks.global performanceworks.global is that is and mm. then there is a there is also an additional forward slash the inner ceo if you want to find out more about the book itself uh through mm -hmm. the website as well as my other services but that's the that's the second way and there is the contact form within there should should it be needed and uh the third thing is if you want to get hold of the book uh the ebook and the print version of the book is available in most electronic bookstores. So Amazon globally, for example, if you want a print version also, the book repository ship worldwide and your local online booksellers, if you look up the book, you should find it there too. So those would be the three key ways I would say. Perfect. We'll put the links in the show notes that it's easy for people to click on, on the podcast way of listening to, to get to the these resources, and I'll add them as well in the post on LinkedIn. Jeremy, if you would give three pieces of advice to the genius leaders tuning in, what would those be? Right. So first of all, it would be something that we've talked about. Embrace what leadership means for the 21st century, not the 20th century. So what does the modern workplace demand? And an example of that is the second point that I would raise, which is a more human-centered approach to leadership alongside the digital era. So in the digital era, the human touch is more important than anything. In a piece of research I did this year called The Enlightened Leader, the number one demand from employees of their leaders was to demonstrate empathy. Mm. And within the top five, all five of them were human-centered leadership traits. So the modern workplace demands that we adopt digital, we start thinking speed versus size, We start thinking about flexibility, but also we need to be more human. And leaders who can demonstrate that human side, the more emotional intelligence side, uh, the social intelligence side as well, are becoming the most successful right now. Mm -hmm. And we've heard horror stories of organizations that don't demonstrate this and really great stories 
even of organizations like Agoda in in Asia and even Airbnb who have had to downsize some of their staff, the way they handled it from a leadership level was praised by those people leaving, but also the employees who were staying. And that's really important. So that human center is really key. And then the third, of course, it would be, wouldn't it, is think about how you can curate leadership across a broader base of your organization to bring in that age of empowerment. So mm-hmm. unleash people, whether it's horizontally or vertically, to do more beyond their job role so that they feel that they have a stake in the organization and they help you as a leader to keep your eye to the sky as much as your feet on the ground. And have the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah, right, yeah. I love it. And Jeremy, the last question would be a practical tip or a piece of advice that the genius leaders watching or listening could implement or try already today after being with us here? Well, actually, my advice is not to dive into action, curiously, oh. as an answer to your question, <laughs> is, uh, is to really think about what is the mindset at leadership level within your organization, not just yours as the leader, but your senior management team, your senior leadership team, and are the conditions and the culture right for doing something? Or is that the action that we have to look at first around adapting our culture and the way that we lead and manage this organization to create the safe space and new environment where people feel safe to step up and be empowered? So I think there's got to be some thinking and talking at leadership level first. I suppose that is the action. But after a period of reflection and asking some tough questions about, are we ready? Mm, I love it. Jeremy, it's really not only about just taking action all the time and shooting high and low and right and left. It's really about slowing down and reflecting and thinking and looking around in our organization and feeling what is the need here at the moment? Where are we really? So it's it's great piece of advice and i actually got a lot of thoughts about whom i should share this episode with <laughs> so that they would <laughs> yes please share uh, high and wide to anybody that will listen I, I firmly believe that the time is right for this right now you know we've been talking about it for over a hundred years so let's make it a reality yeah let's make it happen Jeremy, I really appreciate you finding time today. I know how busy you are with the book launch and how many people want to get hold of you and and get to talk to you. So thank you so much for coming here and sharing with my audience about the book and about your wisdom and the learnings that we can all take with us into our lives. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. Really enjoyed it. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. Remember, I'm always here for you. And I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn or via email or hop on a strategy call. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything. 